Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces pre- pre- Pieces Podcast, episode 345. That mistake was so early on, you'd think I'd just stop and start recording. Re-record, I can't speak at all. Um, this week's guest is the wonderful Fern Brady. Um, I hit, hit Fern up on Twitter because I'm, she cracks me up. I think she's great. And we set up a Zoom call within a matter of days. So it was an absolute joy. I came away thinking... I'm I'm I mess up a couple of times. Like I said, she doesn't have a British accent at one point. Obviously, Scotland is in Britain. I'm I'm not an idiot. My what I meant was a posh British accent. Like I was thinking of myself as not having a British accent. You know the 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 typical Eton lads or uh, your your Oxbridge accent. But I messed up there. And there's a few times that I was like, have I put my foot in my mouth? But I don't think I did. And she's lovely regardless so but it's always nerve-wracking when it's someone you've you're a fan of but you've not chatted to before um but yeah it was a blooming joy and it felt like we could have chatted for for hours on end so um i'll let you get into it if this is your first time tuning in oh also before we get into it i was on cuddle club uh, this week i forced my way onto cuddle club uh lou sanders previous distraction pieces guest I forced my way onto her podcast because it's my favourite podcast. So that's out now. Give that a listen. And if this is, as I was going to say, this is your first time listening, you could check out the Loose Sanders episode. It's great. We talk about Limmy a little bit. I had a two-part with Limmy. I was watching, I was was about to say I've had Sarah Pascoe on twice, which I have, but I was watching her last night on Frankie Boyle's New World Order and I've had Frankie on and she was on with... Jamali Maddox, who I've had on, and Dame Baptiste, who I had on recently. And then I was watching an episode of The Fall, and Ashleen B came on, who I've had on. So basically, I've had everyone that you're a fan of on the podcast at some point over the years. So give them all a, a listen. But without further ado, this is the Distraction Piece podcast, episode 345. I can say it clearly now with the wonderful Fern Brady. Um, right, I'm joined today by Fern Brady. How are you? Good, thanks. Are you in Essex? I am you... in Essex, yes. Where are you? Uh, Lewisham, Catford. Yep, that's that's where my parents grew up. They got their first flat in Lewisham. We're all... Oh, my God. South Londoners. Because I, I was going to... I was interested you were from Essex because I've had my worst gigs there ever. Oh, really? Yeah. Where? Where were they? Uh, well, one of the only places that I can play in Essex <laughs> that feels okay is Southend, but yep. one of the worst ones was in Southend. Not Romford, but somewhere that's it's like right next to Romford. Is it Hornchurch? Yeah, Hornchurch. There we go. I got you. <laughs> yeah, the... Um, <laughs> Uh, it was in the foyer of a theatre, like the local theatre, so not even yeah. in the theatre. And the MC said that in the letter he got about the gig, they said, this gig is in the foyer of the theatre, but it is not unplayable. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> this was already at the point where I'd said, I'm not going to gig in Essex anymore. And um, 
I got Hornchurch mixed up with uh, Hornsey, which I think is like North London. Yeah. And then I was like, oh shit, I'm back in Essex. And uh, they heckled me by meowing at me. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's a hell of a, that's a hard heckle to know what to say to, right? Yeah, I don't really know. I couldn't think of any um, other way to mention that because I don't know what it means. And then an an old man stood up and he was like, this is awful, (laughs) go away. And um, I remember I ran away after my set. I ran through the doors of the theatre, out the fire escape and like through the streets of Hornchurch till I was back on the train. I completely support people not coming and doing comedy in Essex because everyone I know has has had things like that. A, a, a Rob Alton's a mate of mine and I'm a big fan of of his work. I saw him. He's amazing. He's Sorry. brilliant. I love yeah. him. He's so good. But he's quite odd, right? So he, yeah, start, yeah. he started his first kind of headline tour, started it on a Friday or Saturday night in Southend. And as I said, Southend can be the acceptable one, but it can mm-hmm. not as well. A Friday or Saturday night, maybe not. I get... It's one of them where if you're playing with Stuart Lee at the Cliffs Pavilion, you know the kind of audience he's going to bring in. Whereas if you're in a small room and you're just advertised as comedy on a Friday or Saturday night, then when Rob gets up and starts doing his unusual stuff, yeah, he said it was horrible. He had people in the front row, a woman explaining to her daughter that the reason he's doing this is because he thinks it's funny. Um, as he's doing his stuff, and it's like, yeah, it sound it sounded bleak. It's not the ideal place for it. Cliffs Pavilion, that's where I've been. That was nice. Um, yeah. The the other one in Southend, I walked off crying, and uh, <laughs> and then to get out of the venue, I had to walk back out past the audience, still crying, with a Sainsbury's bag for life. That was the most degrading bit. Um, wow. But it's weird. I think because of where I'm from, I don't really like doing that. I don't. I don't want to do a sort of snobby thing and then dismissing all of Essex because a lot of my pals in comedy are from there, and it does produce. What I find interesting is it produces weirdos. Yeah. Like well, there's like Grayson Perry, and then uh, my mate Peter Peter Brush. He's a comedian. He does support for Alexi Sale. Just like a really quiet, eccentric guy. So I don't like to say, oh, everyone in Essex is like this. Yeah. Um, it's a tough one because it also produces a Russell Brand, who's a mate and was the first person I had on this podcast. But I completely can see why people are so confused as to why he's giving a lecture on f- feminism and <laughs> and, and wet-ass pussy as some bloke from Grey's who has a mixed reputation, let, let's say, over the years, of his own admission and of other people's admission, you know. So I think the the thing, the reason we get a lot of weirdos come out of Essex in that way is because if you're going to be slightly unusual, you have to have confidence with it because it is that kind of yeah, area where yeah. you're constantly going to get that stick. It's why Russell has got... And, and when I had him on the, on the podcast, we were arguing constantly because I agree with about... 50% of what R- Russell says, and I think the R- another 50% is nonsense he thinks at the time and will change his mind in a week. And we, again, we discussed that. It was all fine. There's no beef or anything. But that's where that confidence comes from, I'm convinced. Because if you were him growing up in the area I grew up in, I mean, I'm the same, having a big beard and stuff like that and being alternative. In, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I still live in the same town I've always lived in. 
and you have to build a bit of confidence and thick skin because otherwise you're, you're literally going to get the shit kicked out of you, I guess. Well, do you know where I've seen something really similar is uh, the Australian comedy scene? Because, right. uh, again, Australia's got a really blokey thing. All their A disproportionate amount of their news coverage is about sport. And yet they produce absolute weirdos in comedy, yeah. Uh, yeah. like <laughs> Sam Simmons and ton, tons of their comics are just really eccentric. And I do think it is almost like kind of what you're saying, like a backlash to yeah. the, that mainstream. So so what was it like uh, when you you were gr- growing up then? Because m- my aunt is, is from Edinburgh and has lived... Oh, hi. Had, or had lived, she passed away recently during lockdown, weirdly. Are we out are we to attend her funeral over essentially Zoom? Weird. But um, she lived... Yeah, it was odd. But she lived just on the outskirts of Edinburgh her whole life. And she fucking despised the fringe and everything it stood for and everything it was. And when I did the fringe in 2013, I think it was, she came to my show and loved it and went to some more after that. But that was the first thing she'd ever been to. And she was in her Mm. her 50s at that point. And it's a mad one because I'm a big fan of the fringe, but it's mad to think of... It's it's loved by everyone outside of Edinburgh. And well, it's it, mixed by people inside of Edinburgh, right? Because <laughs> it's, it's essentially a London festival transported yeah. to Edinburgh. And it's, uh, I'm always surprised that my pals down here are surprised that the locals resent it. But when yeah. I was growing up, there was... Because um, I'm from, like, it's like a 20-minute train ride outside of Edinburgh. Yeah. But you just wouldn't have gone to a show. I did go... I got took to a show once because my friend's dad had been to uni and was, a was like, a social worker, so that was quite posh, and took me to see a show in Edinburgh. But it just... Apart from that, the first thing I went to see after that was when I was 20, and a guy I was going out with took me to see stand-up. But... um. Yeah, it's been weird because a lot of people this month are kind of asking comics for quotes about the fringe and you're supposed to give this misty-eyed thing. <laughs> and I can't really say, but I, just, I, I do it because I have to do it for work. Yeah, no comedian I know would honestly be able to give a misty-eyed. Again, everyone I know it's kind of yeah. that. It's the it's the love-hate thing. It's it's a necessary evil because it's... it's Fucking hard. Again, as just a fan, I, I love it. I love getting to go there and see 20 shows in in five days and just be blown away, and it's amazing. But that's because I'm a tourist there. There's exactly. loads of places that are great as a tourist and not so great if you're living there. <laughs> exactly. Well, because actually it was only when I went to the Melbourne Festival I sort of understood, because I loved that, and it's because I'm not from there and I don't have to annoyed at the tourists because I am a tourist if that makes sense but yeah. I did have a nice time at the Fringe last year I don't want to sound totally ungrateful but it's just the physical toll that it takes like even yeah. last year I don't drink um, during, well I don't really drink very much anyway but I don't drink at all during the Fringe and I, I try and make my diet really perfect and get all the right amount of sleep and I still lose my voice every year and so it's just every single year you have to go and get steroids for your voice and you you lose a load of weight as well. Yeah. I mean, that's good, but it's not... You don't lose it in, like, 
in a good way. It's just pure stress. Yeah. And it's just the tiredest you've ever felt. Anyway, sorry, this is boring me going on about the fish. No, no, I completely agree. It's it's a bizarre one because it, it makes me it makes me think of this is gonna sound like an odd one, but it makes me think of zoos. And zoos are amazing, but they're not that great for the animals. They're no. exhausting and they're tiring. And it's the same with the the comedians at the fringe. It's like it's this amazing thing, but you're getting to dip in and out as a as a punter. The, yeah. They're not. They're getting to having to gig every night and do the same thing and as as Marcus Brigstock always used to say to me, somehow walk uphill to get to your venue and walk up uphill to get home as well. So it's just this weird, constantly exhausting <laughs> experience. So you're a performance poet. Yeah, or I used to be. I've stopped now. I've moved into acting and stuff. But I that that was my kind of. I felt like a fraud at the fringe because I only went once. I'd already built up an audience. So, mm. so for me, it was a joy. Every show was rammed. I had a lovely time. I yeah. sold merch, which was... All the comedians were like, what? How are you That's doing this? That's a good this? move. Yeah, because, again, I'm used to t- a touring. I, I toured doing hip-hop and all sorts of other stuff, and you make your money off merch. So, in my mind, I was like, so I don't have to change venues. I could just have all the merch in one place. Easy. But I was literally having comedians come up to me after each show saying, so how do you, do you make this merch thing work? I'm like, well, there's... Tons of people who have just paid to see me, so they're good to say. Do you want to b- b- buy a CD or a book or whatever else? And yeah, it was. They're weird. getting. They're. I did notice comedians are getting more savvy to in the last year. A lot of them had these machines where you could tap your card. Yeah, yeah, as yeah, people yeah, were yeah. leaving. A slip. There's definitely. There's almost like an old-fashioned aspect to stand up. It's Bill Hicks' fault. He makes everyone feel that they're selling out for anything at all. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've always... I've disliked that thing where people don't do stuff so that they can impress other comedians and then stay poor. Yeah. That's a a very American thing of me to say. No, but it's Um, it's true. It's it's such a weird thing to think. I I grew up loving punk and and, and hip-hop. And they're two things as well, that as soon as you're successful, it's seen as a bad thing. And it's like, well, what were you doing it for? Mm-hmm. Why were you doing it if it wasn't to reach more people and to be able to afford to do it as your full-time thing? And, yeah, I think there is a weirdness in comedy at times of that feeling that you look like you're selling out or a shill or whatever else if you're going, here's a T-shirt as well, or here's this or here's that, and... Again, I guess the touring musician thing has always been far more of a carny feel, where you are going, right, we've got them here, let's get as much as we can before they go. Yeah. What do you make of... I've not got any bias about this at all. It's just I'm just interested to know people's opinions because I haven't looked into it. There's a guy called George the Poet, yes. and he has a podcast, and I saw he's done an advert for Coca-Cola... Yeah. And I was thinking, I bet he's getting so much jealousy or shit for it. I bet but, he is. But yeah, because there's a similar thing with when comics do adverts. Yeah. But I know a lot of comics that are very alternative and then they've done an advert and then that's meant they can then keep doing their weird comedy for Completely. not much money and for it's, ages. It's living in the real world as well. I had this shaken out of me at an early age. The first... The first song I ever released 
got in the top 40 unexpectedly. So it was this the weird thing... The one with Dan was that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's how I, I know you, because I, I was like, that's <laughs> cool when that came out. I yeah, think. exactly. And so that came out and it got us this attention, but there's not that much m- m- money in it. So I had this profile... I'm sure I've told this only only once or twice before, but... I, I got don't hit know up. the story at all, so... Yeah, I got hit up about um, doing an advert for Virgin Media, and I was like, no, I'm a poet, I'm an artist, I'm not about adverts, but at this point, I'm living in my bedroom at my mum's house, which is f- five, five minutes up the road from where I live now. I've not gone far. Um, but I was like, no, I'm an artist, it's not credible... And then they came back and said, well, we were thinking of around 150 grand. And I was like, well, I watch TV, you know, I like Virgin. Because, <laughs> yeah. um, again, it was that, that thing of when you're sitting in your bedroom at your mum's house and you're like, I could pay off my mum's m- mortgage from doing this one day of work. I could start looking at my own mortgage from doing this one day of work. So at quite an early age, I learned, and, and it, in the end... I chucked my morals away, accepted it, and then they ended up offering it to Samuel L. Jackson instead, which I think is a far better investment. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a great choice. But, yeah, it made me learn early on and it made me not judge people. I'm not a fan of Coca-Cola because of their practices, but I'm sure George the Poet has been paid a lot of money to do that, and I don't know how he spent that money. Again, it's also not up to me. He might have spent it on... Strip clubs and, and stakes, which is fine, but he might have spent it on helping his family or, or helping his yeah. community or numerous other things. So I think people are too quick to judge people on on circumstances they aren't aware of. I guess. Yeah, I know there's a couple of comics haven't done adverts for gambling. Yeah. Companies and stuff, or alcohol. That's the only thing I've turned down. Actually, is I've been asked to advertise alcohol, right, on Instagram. And what made you, uh, you, you turn it down? Like you, you said you're someone who drinks every now and then, but not that much. What yeah, was your reason I'm not like, it wasn't right? I think it's going to sound so Christian. I just think binge drinking's really bad, and I think uh, yeah, alcohol's unbelievably bad for you. Know that guy, David Nutt. The drugs yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the government sacked him because he said the ecstasy's safe and just basically. He's got a really good podcast out of interest. He's worth oh, listening amazing. to as well. He's got a really good, good podcast. I was meant to have him on here and we've never managed to arrange him. But yeah, continue. Because he was Sorry. off his head. Yeah. He <laughs> on was, drugs. He was, every, every time I try and arrange it, I'd get a blurred, gurgled <laughs> voice message. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love him. Uh, so. He said just recently there is no uh, safe amount of alcohol to drink because uh, for years, for ages, there's been like, there's just so much bullshit like, oh, you know, a bit of red wine is good for your heart. Oh, mate, well, it's, it's not. You have to it's be. It's every a... few months, one glass of red of or cure cancer or such. Do you know what I mean? All these, mm. all these different things and they change one yeah. pint of beer a week or whatever else. Yeah, it's things like that. I um, uh, and then there's like people in my family were alkies, uh, so I've never grown up with a sort of favourable view of that. I just think the normalisation of binge drinking in the UK is so weird, and I think it's because people are so uptight here and don't see what they mean. Yeah, because I actually I I did drink a bit more when I had normal office jobs. I used to have this terrible job when I was a new stand up. 
I lived in Manchester and I worked at Granada or ITV. Yeah. And I used to have to do music clearance, which is where any time they have a song on Jeremy Kyle or something, you have yeah, to get yeah, permission yeah. to use it. But anyway, it was a terrible job. And every Friday I would just go out and get rat arsed because I wanted to block out the fact I worked in this office. Yeah. So I do think people drink to... You have to suppress a lot of what you're saying when you work in an office, whereas as soon as I was a full-time comic, I wasn't constantly having my behaviour monitored and I was basically being paid to be myself. You still have to work hard, but you don't feel the need to get a release from drinking. Yeah, Um I'm Completely. very sanctimonious about drinking. No, no it's, 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 it's right because it's it's having an understanding as well. It's like we were saying about George George the Poet, we don't know how we spent that money or whatever else. Similarly with alcohol, I barely drink at all. Weirdly, I do a drunk version of, the, of this podcast every now and then. <laughs> and that's the, the only time I drink. But because of that, everyone thinks I'm a proper boozer and drinker. But I, I think it's fine to get drunk if you've got a reason. But I grew up similarly in an area where the reason was to get drunk. That's yeah. the goal of drinking. Our goal is to get drunk as quickly and cheaply as possible because we were poor, as quickly and cheaply as possible, and that's it. And it's like, right, so what's, so what's that? Like, what's that about? There's no, there's no great yeah. positive there. So, but again, equally, it's why I don't. I stopped talking about politics a while back, and people th- think I won't talk about politics at all. But I just stopped preaching about it a bit because I'm very aware that the conclusions I've come to are for a white straight male in Essex who's not on the breadline. So I can't assume that the same conclusions will be right for a single mum in Newcastle who's who's struggling. So it's unfair of me to get preachy and kind of tell people how they should or shouldn't act or conduct themselves. Yeah, I often think about how much my beliefs are so not fixed and I've got this conviction that if I was a guy, I'd be one of those ones that has a frog as their profile picture. (laughs) (laughs) I just read this book about people's sense of self. It's called Selfie by Will Starr. Took me fucking about two years to finish it because I just don't read enough now. But anyway, and he said... I think it was him. Anyway, uh, what a lot of people's beliefs now aren't really altruistic. Like a lot of women are feminists, but really they're. You get a lot of female comics now who are like, "Oh, I think there should be more women on TV," but they really mean there should be more of me on TV, (laughs) or not just women, but whatever. Loads of different um, underrepresented groups. So I've thought about that. Sorry, I've lost my train of thought. No, I completely understand, and and also I think it's 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 natural because I've had that a little bit since moving into acting, because I've got a a stutter. As soon as I saw the first character on TV with a stutter, I was like, "There needs to be more people with stutters on TV and more." And it's like, that's because I want to be on TV more. (laughs) That's not necessarily this (laughs) this strong strong belief. It's me going, "There should you know you should employ more actors who've got stutters." Also, here's my IMDb. Uh, here's my spotlight profile and uh, <laughs> and go for it. But it is true, and you're right on so many people's b- beliefs don't hold up as soon as you push them a little further on it. 
And one of the, the the things I wanted to talk to you about, I mean, you've talked about it a million times, but when you were at uni, you worked in a in a strip club to 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 to, to make money. Now, the reason I bring it up is. My partner is is a sex worker and in the in the sex work industry. And oh, cool! It's it's such a taboo industry and it's such it's so looked down upon. Yet we're all happy to to, to watch and enjoy porn. People yeah. are happy to go to strip clubs. People are happy to use full service sex workers. Again, they're unaware that sex work can range from images to porn to stripping to 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 full service sex work and all these things. And it's such a, it's one that really divides feminism because a lot of your more middle-class feminists will be very feminist until they're, oh, but we need to look after those women. They need to be saved from themselves. And so it's it's kind of, I wanted to ask you how that was and was it this, because again, it can be stripping full-service sex work, anything in the sex industry can be really dark and damaging, but so can working in an office if you've got a manager who's, bullying you or anything like yeah. that. Do you know what I mean? It can also be a really positive thing. So I kind of, yeah, just wanted to know what your experience of that was and if it was good, bad, ugly or or what your outlook was coming out of it. Well, you framed that a good way because the fact your partner does it... I wanted to get that in there because I knew me. you'd instantly <laughs> yeah, be going, yeah. oh, another question about this. But again, it's 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 an honest one rather than a... <laughs> I've shut it down with uh, journalists before because the um, journalists are so voyeuristic about it and yeah it's titillation isn't it well yeah what i love is how they are so judgmental of it and yet they're asking for titillation and they also have a story written in their heads already so no matter what i say if i was to make any kind of nuanced point about it they wouldn't take that on and then i would see the article and it'll just be the same uh, her CD experience dancing for money. It's yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I've a lot to say on it, so I'm trying to think where to start. And I've just done a pilot on it, so at the moment, I've just it's all I've been thinking about for months. Right. It basically, well, what the first point I was going to say is, uh, you were you listed all different types of sex work there. When we when I was a stripper. There, there was loads of pride taken in the fact that we weren't prostitutes, yeah. And anything that went, anything that went beyond doing a lap dance in the clubs I worked in, the other girls would pull that, pull the person up on it yeah. and get them sacked, right? Because it then means if someone does anything like that, it then means there's all the other customers will expect girls to do that. Yeah. So there was of huge pride in us not being prostitutes and so I never would have expected now that I would term stripping as sex work but I've got a sense of solidarity with more with people that do that than with people from the outside because the thing that we all have in common and this is by far the worst bit of the job the the thing of getting um, naked and all that is not a bad bit of the job once all your colleagues are wearing assless chaps or whatever it's as much of a uniform as a tesco checkout uniform is yeah so you become less self-conscious that way because everyone's wearing these crazy outfits yeah of course um so you almost become blind to it the by far the worst part of doing it is that men will push and push at your boundaries now you've already made a 
compromise with yourself where you're like, I'm going to go and do this job. So you've already had to make the leap of doing yeah. that job. And this is the farthest that you'll go for money. And then men will push by trying to get money off, uh, by trying to solicit you or ask you to do more. And that's what I find interesting is that this cuts across every area of sex work. I don't know if your partner's had this, but from documentaries I've watched um, and just from people I've known, there's a dominatrix I became pals with on Twitter, uh, Megara Fury. And um, she, I mean, you see on her Twitter all the time, she'll get guys who claim to want to be dominated, but then they push and push and push with what they want. And that's what I find interesting because you're like, how much is this actually about sex or arousal and how much it is about a power struggle and getting a kick out of breaking a woman down? But I find that dynamic plays into sexual politics. It's like a microcosm of the interactions between a lot of men and women anyway. Yeah. Because what I found interesting about a lot of the Me Too stuff, especially stuff where it wasn't quite rape but there was problems with consent. It all comes from a type of man who thinks that women shouldn't have sexual agency and they should submit and be coy and say Mm -hmm. no, 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 and then that's where things get misinterpreted. Yeah, and and they need to be won over or convinced. Again, it comes from a time when there was shame in in having sexual agency. Therefore, you had to show a level of resistance... To then be, oh, I was I was defenceless to it. To just enjoy yourself, which you should be able uh, allowed to do anyway. But it's it's fascinating because I think it's where it's it's where it's exciting where porn has gone now, where there's so much more power to the creators with w- w- webcams or whatever else. Is there's so much more control? from the person who's creating the content and they're in a safer environment than if they've got someone there in front of them. Again, as unpleasant as it is, someone pushing you to or trying to make you push your boundaries in a DM or whatever, you can go, block, done, we're moving on. That's not the same in, in, in the real world. It can get intimidating, uncomfortable, horrific. It can get terrifying. So it's, it's what I think is exciting about the way the porn industry has changed in that there's no there's not many big studios anymore and there's far more things like OnlyFans or my free cams or whatever else where they're taking a percentage but the ownership of what you do on there, how far you go on there, is all down to you and your choices. Yeah. And you're remote and in a safe place as such, I guess. Yeah, I'm really glad only fans and Carmen exists because not because I think women should all go into sex work or whatever, <laughs> but um, if I'd have been at uni now, I wonder because I was always terrified of people finding out. Yeah, and the first few years that I did stand up, and I didn't mention it at all because I knew that that was just going to be mentioned alongside my name forever and then sure enough, now it is. <laughs> but but I did make money out of it because I'd done a script on it. So yeah. <laughs> I was like, I kind of waited until I was established enough in comedy that I knew what my take was going to be on the topic. Yeah, um, that makes sense. But it still 
makes you think, oh, God, I'm going to have to talk about this forever. And my mum cries anytime she sees sees it mentioned and stuff. But anyway, only cam, only cams, only fans and cam girls. I think, I wonder if I would have done that and then just had a mask on yeah. so that no one found out or something. Yeah. But I'm, e- even then, women have their boundaries pushed. Like, there was a woman, there was a tweet going around on, like, sex worker Twitter last week where a woman said, oh, I lost my job from lockdown, so I started doing OnlyFans. And I can't believe how much energy it takes and the men made me feel like I was a sex worker. Yeah. <laughs> I think she said yeah. something like that. And yeah. all these sex workers were like, yeah, you... That's part of the job. It's a job. It's hard work. There's a lot that needs to be done there, yeah. Yeah. It's It's been interesting because there's been loads of that in lockdown of people, as exactly as you said, saying, well, maybe I'll start an OnlyFans. It's like, again, in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with that. It shouldn't be taboo, but it also shouldn't be the butt of a joke. The same mm-hmm. as, oh, I guess I'll go and start st- stripping. Or if, if it all goes wrong, I'll do this or I'll do that. It's like, well, no, these are all valid options if you're comfortable with it. If you're not then don't. But if you are, then it's it's all an option. But it is that weird thing of it becomes where OnlyFans in particular has become more in the mainstream awareness. It is that kind of, it's the butt of a joke. It's supported but looked down upon. And again, it's it's like all these things. They should It should all just be part of life, in my opinion. If, you, if you're comfortable with those kind of... Uh, the same as you shouldn't be judging anyone based on how many people they've slept with, if it's very few or, or or very many. It's like, that's just individual choice and individual... Well, I do find Britain's very um, repressed in that way, and this Hugely. wasn't something I'd noticed till... I really hadn't travelled till the last couple of years with comedy. I mean, I had been on holiday with my parents growing up, but I'd never had a gap year or travelled for its own sake. And then in the last two years, I went to, like... I think it was four, 14 different countries to do gigs and you really notice it. Like in Australia, they would mention that I was a stripper on breakfast radio and just be like really cool about it. Um, <laughs> or for example, more sexual material that I do in places like Denmark or, or, or Germany, they just would be so cool about it. Whereas Britain, it's not. And the other thing is, in Britain, I'm always going to just be a Scottish accent. Um, So if I see anything sexual, it will be described as coarse. In fact, I've just had that in the last week. Whereas if I was saying it with an RP accent, it would be naughty or like daring (laughs) or something brave. It's it's, it's fascinating because your story and career, it comes down to the discussion of, of consent people will argue that well you've 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 talked about being a stripper therefore you've put it out there and it's like no that yeah. that's how consent works you can choose to and then you can take away consent you can then say i don't want to be again this is ironic as we've just talked about it for 15 minutes you can easily say i don't want to be talking about this all the time or every interview so that's how consent works that's what I'm- consent is you can't say well she She's made a show of it or she's talked about it, therefore you've got to put up with it. Like the same as people do with fame or or marrying into the royal family. Well, it's what you signed up for. No, yeah. No, it's not what I signed up for. But it's good talking about it on podcast. I'm a big podcast fan generally. I'd say all media is the thing I consume more than 
anything and I like it because it's like nuanced and even compared to like I listen to a lot of Radio 4 but Radio 4 does that thing of setting up everything as a binary debate that yeah. does my head in whereas but talking about this kind of thing to the mainstream press is just an exercise in futility like I had a terrible experience with a Sun journalist last year at the Fringe of course Scottish, yeah <laughs> the Scottish Sun and uh, I actually had to, I, uh, well, I'll, I'll start from the start. He kept pushing the point about stripping. And I said, listen, I've done material about this in two Edinburgh shows, so I don't have a problem talking about it. But none of the material in this year's Edinburgh show is about that. And this interview is meant to be to promote that show. Yeah. And uh, he just pushed and pushed and pushed. And I said, look, every time my mum reads this in a Scottish paper, she cries. And, like, the first time she found out, she didn't talk to me for six months. It was horrendous. Um, The guy just didn't care. Then I started getting texts from him at all hours telling me he wants to go into stand-up. I was like, I don't give a fuck, mate. Like, why are you sending me this? And I told my PR and she was like, sort of like laughed it off and um i had to say i'm like eventually this isn't appropriate please stop messaging me oh it was so odd it's the first time i've had anything like that happen it's creepy because you and again journalism is another thing i wanted to talk to you about because you wanted to go into journalism originally right well that was why i was doing the stripping yeah was that what you were studying at uni or I did an undergrad at Edinburgh yeah. um, doing English Lit, although my Wikipedia says Arabic. I'd done Arabic <laughs> and then I was like, absolutely, fuck this. <laughs> and uh, um, I was doing Arabic, Persian and Islamic history. Um, wow. But I really wanted to be a writer, but I just thought Arabic was going to be more practical. Bear in mind, this was like a few years after September the 11th. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, done English Lit. Edited the Edinburgh Uni student paper, got this prize off the Guardian for like the like a student journalism thing. Yeah. This is how much uni changed my life though. I'd never read the Guardian growing up or broadsheets really, and then my mate was like, Your writing's funny. He was really posh. He's the Guardian sports editor now. Anyway. <laughs> he w- he was like, You should enter this competition. So I got a prize off of them, and then off the back of that, I got um, a scholarship to go and train as a news reporter. Wow. But by that point, I was into comedy, and I just c- couldn't stop doing stand-up. And they were yeah. like, you need to focus on your studies or leave. So I left. Yeah. And I had all these good opportunities. I had, like, some guy from The Sun asking me to come and do work for them, which sounds like, oh, that's terrible because it's a tabloid, but... I was getting good offers of work and I just chucked it away for stand-up. Yeah. But I'm glad I did. Of course. but it's, it's so it's... unethical. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's what I find fascinating about what journalism has become because people don't realise that it's something that you're meant to be trained in. As I said, that you mm. were going to get a chance to go and work at The Guardian and train and learn and learn to be an, um, an, a news reporter or, or, or whatever else. We've now blurred the line between ju- journalism and opinion pieces, or we've literally just just pissed all over the line, so it's it's vanished completely. Mm-hmm. And journalism sh- should be something that is 
studied and learnt rather than simply opinion pieces that are just clickbait and, and seeing who can shout the loudest. It's not even just that. Um, it has descended into clickbait now and it's gotten even worse from when I was graduating. But even traditional news reporting in the UK, uh, uh, see American journalists, they really do it to a high standard, a much yeah. higher standard than us. Whereas um, one of my friends and my flatmate at uni uh, was a reporter who's a really middle class, really sort of smiley, charming guy. A nice guy to live with and hang about with. But the shit that he did in journalism was one of the things that really made me think, I can't do that. I can't do news reporting. I can write technically well, but I can't do news reporting. There was one time I I was shadowing him and we went to interview some student in halls about like bad accommodation and she answered the door and was like oh I've got the flu like I really can't talk to you and she didn't notice but like one tit was partially hanging out her pyjamas and I was he just kept focusing on her looking her in the eye no but let us in let us in to talk to you and I was like leave it alone like let her put her tit away and have some lemsip or something yeah and then there was another time one of my pals went on a job with him and uh, I think some family had had a house fire and while they went to make him a cup of tea, he said to my friend, quick, put um, these pictures in your bag. And was wow. ta- it's j- Like, honestly, the, the phone hacking and all that is the yeah. tip of the iceberg. Yeah. So, so, so how was it kind of choosing not to do that and moving into comedy. I mean, as you said, you've not Just got really scary. a British accent or, or whatever a kind of or a posh Scotland's accent. Scotland's part of the else. UK, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's yeah. Well, and an, an English accent. My apologies. <laughs> um, but you've you, you've not got a posh accent, is what I was, I was more mm. trying to get towards, and that instantly seems to open so many doors in all sorts of ent- entertainment. So, how Does was it really? That? Yeah, apparently. Allegedly. <laughs> Great. So, so so, how was that? And did you find resistance or feel any any backlash? Because you started off at the fringe, right? It was... It was yeah, I did, I did a really hack article, but it wasn't my idea, where I tried stand-up and wrote about it, which yeah. had been done to death. And then as soon as I did it, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to... I have to do this. And I was like, I have to... I just had this amazing feeling I had to, it sounds really cheesy but I was like I'm definitely going to do this and have to not do journalism yeah but what what were you in terms of accent I really wanted to believe that I was imagining that this accent is stigmatizing in the UK and that I was like people don't think that you're a halfwit when you have this accent listen to this about three years into stand-up Stand-up wasn't going great, so I, st- I wrote a couple of, like, shitty Guardian comment pieces just to, just for something to do. And the feedback I got off that and the comments I had from that, people saying, you're just doing stuff for the Guardian because your mum or dad's got you a place there. And people assuming I was posh mm. because I could write. And then also media people became interested in me after that. And I actually got my first TV job in comedy from writing these serious Guardian things 
because people realised I was intelligent and yeah. that's so depressing to me because yeah. I don't want to change my accent and anglicise it like every other Scottish Londoner. No, and you shouldn't, you, you, you shouldn't have to. It's such a weird one that... Because, again, because I've always had family in Scotland and grown up around the accent, it's it wouldn't even register as anything different. But I've sent some of my, my favourite TV or comedy or whatever else to mates, and it's Scottish, and they've literally been, no, I can't really, I can't really get my head around it, just because of how someone sounds, which is it's mind-blowing. Well, like, yeah, like, Lemmy makes the point about that. Yeah. He's one of the best ones for saying, well, yeah, if you don't... Put put our accents on TV, then people aren't going to understand. They can't it. change. And he yeah. yeah, he said to me, he was like, I understood Brookside growing up, and Liverpool yeah. accents are really hard to understand. It's a great example because down here, like where I'm from in Essex or where my family in South London, how is a Scottish accent any harder to understand than a Scouse accent? But well, it's, exactly. it's exactly, it shouldn't be any different at all. But as you said, because there was a TV show for an extended amount of time that had that accent, it's it's not that hard. Whereas, yeah, as you say, you need to, to represent these things. Another thing, I was, I was just at my hairdresser's today and she's from Essex and so's her assistant. And they so don't understand what I'm saying sometimes that I just switch to an Essex accent. Amazing. I've done that a couple of times and they just, they just look at me baffled. <laughs> but I'm like, well, what do, you, what do you want me to do? This is... And I don't even have a strong accent. Like, when I go home, people say that I sound English. Yeah. Which is mental. <laughs> or, or how have you found getting your... Voice, and I mean voice as in your your comedy voice. I'm not talking about accents anymore. Um, getting that across in the different like opportunities presented for comedians these days. I first saw you on Russell Howard's show, and I, I loved that show, but I think it's a really hard show to get comedy across. For example, I saw you and loved it. I thought it came across amazingly. Oh, R- thanks. Rob Alton, who I'm a fan of, I know I've seen a million times. I watched him on there and I went... People aren't going to be, be getting this, are they? Like this isn't going to because it's not going to come across. So, how do you find that finding the the right way to get it across, or is it just it doesn't kind of cross your mind? You go up there and do your oh, thing and hope. Come here, I have a good story about that one. Presumably, yeah. you saw because I've done Russell Howard twice, but you have saw the one on Sky where I was talking yeah, I about. Think so. Yeah, that show there. It's weird how, I don't know if you've found this, the things that you think are going to be big in your career kind of aren't really, and then things you don't give a second thought to make a big difference. So I did that just after the Fringe and I picked like my favourite bit from that year's show, but I didn't really think much of it. And then after I filmed it, they said, oh, it's not going to be broadcast next week because there's... A delay, and they didn't say why, and I wasn't really bothered about it. And then last year, right, I need to think how to say this so I disguise the identity of the person. <laughs> Basically, I found out last year that the delay in that show being put out was because the execs said, this isn't stand-up and we can't put this out. And all the younger people in the team were like, what are you talking about? Oh, and wow. uh, pushed to get it on, and then the clip ended up getting, like, a million or two million views or something, yeah. and was more popular than anything I've ever done, and I got other jobs off of it, 
and that nearly wasn't going to go on. And I do think it's because I've got quite a silly voice. People think that I'm not choosing my words and people think, well, that's just a mentally ill person just coming out with rubbish rather than something that is very tightly scripted down to, like, facial expressions that I make. It's really weird because it's... it's, it is something that seems to be constant. I, I, I noted as well to talk about um, a Frankie Ball's New World Order because I think it's one of the best shows that's been on TV recently. And the thing that, that Frankie has, even his travel show, it is his writing is some of the best writing and scripting on TV. Yet because, in my mind, it's because he's offensive Frankie, but it will be partly the accent as well. It's overlooked. If it was... A Charlie Brooker, who I'm also a huge fan of, I think is amazing. But if it was him de- delivering some of the monologues Frankie gives, it'd be so much more applauded and 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 held up. So, so how is it going on shows like that and being on part of shows like that that are it's, it's fucking highbrow, man. It's funny as anything, but it's intelligent, calm conversation about things. Yeah, it was. I, I, I honestly, I like cancelled shows in New Zealand so I could do Frankie's show because that's my favourite thing as well. Yeah. Like flew back just Love to do it. that. And um I said to her, I was like, I can't believe they've got like two of us on at the same time. Because <laughs> <It's mad. laughs> yeah. um, I noticed recently Channel 4 doesn't touch Scottish people, man. I'll tell you who loves us. Really? ITV, every Scottish celebrity, John Leslie. Lorraine Kelly, (laughs) Carol Smiley, Ian Sterling, goes on and on, all of us. ITV holds us close. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's interesting with Frankie that he has to have such tightly written stuff and has been going for Christ knows how long and how has had to make a real effort to be taken as an intelligent... Yeah. Uh, comedian, it's so frustrating because their accents to to middle class English people sound like we're swearing, even when we're not swearing. Yeah, like when I do Radio Four stuff, my mum's got in touch before, and my mum's quite well spoken. She's been like, "Fern, your accent doesn't sit. It sounds very strange to have your voice on the, the radio." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, mum, but that's it's not a problem with my voice. It's because we don't get put yeah." That's why that it needs to be on the radio, so it can stop sounding strange. Yeah, there's really. a huge thing with um, cultural cringe up there. Like, when I was growing up, any time Scottish people came on TV, we would all make fun of them. Because right. you're just, you just hate yourself, basically. Or that's how it was in my house. We yeah. would all just make fun of Scottish people on TV. That's bizarre, isn't it? Mm. So- and I go out with an Irish guy, and he... They really don't have the same sense of shame about themselves, I think. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, I don't know. I guess there's far more of a pride in 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 the Irish accent, in the charm of the Irish mm. kind of appeal and all that kind of thing, I guess. It's weird. Um, sorry I interrupted you there <laughs> like no. three times. No, it's all good. Um we've got like almost an hour in and we've not m- mentioned lockdown yet, which is astounding for any podcast in these times. But the reason I wanted to mention it is because it's kind of caused you to start a podcast. Like you mentioned earlier that podcasts are kind of what you enjoy the most. And I wanted to say on that, because of a podcast, it's the only reason I was comfortable 
bringing up any of the stripping type stuff because it's not going to then be a headline. Like I recorded a podcast that will come out after this one, and there was a bit of a a bit that could be taken a, that could b- blow up a bit tabloidy, and I had to immediately email the guy. Because after each episode goes out, we do a little video that has a clip that has the audio of it and it the words come up. And I had to email him immediately say, don't use that bit because that's not mm. what podcasts are about. They're about long discussions rather than the the tabloidy, here's that one moment and they said this. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's shocking. So, yeah, I guess how have you found j- jumping into podcasts now or having the time to jump into podcasts, I guess? Well, the, it really uh, sort of saved my... Uh, I was really depressed the first two months of lockdown, which really? is daft because I was really quite lucky compared to a lot of my peers, a lot of my peers. I, I'd been coming to the end of a tour and I filmed a special the day before everything started getting cancelled. Wow. yeah. And there was an American crew was filming it and they nearly got stuck in LA and they just just managed to get over. And I'd been due to finish this bit of the tour, then write the the script for a couple of months anyway. So I was quite lucky, but it still, it was like gradually realising that stand-up wasn't going to be coming back for a long time and that there was no certainty over what Mm. work I was going to have was horrendous and then in the meantime my boyfriend has a normal job like my I've got friends that have normal jobs and I kept telling them like my job's over and they just didn't take it in so that bit was hard but then the podcast was just great uh it was just great being able to have something to focus on what else was I going to say? Oh, the reason I asked you about ethics at the top of this was because <laughs> my hairdresser today, she, I was wearing a mask and I said, um, I already knew she didn't really believe in the virus. And I said, would you mind wearing a mask? Because I've got some TV shows coming up. It's my first work in ages. I think they're going to test my temperature and all that. Like, yeah. And she was like, well, it's all bullshit. If there's a vaccine, I won't take it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then she proceeded to come out with about a hundred mad conspiracy theories while doing my hair. And uh, it was amazing. Yeah. I'm I'm seeing it constantly. There's, there's so much of it. And I'm using exactly the same description as you. I'm doing a TV show as soon as this is all over. Mm. And it's in another country. So they're going to be taking my temperature as I land, and uh-huh. I'm like, I'm not being s- sent home. I'm having to go there and go into quarantine for two weeks as it is and have all these kind of temperatures and tests, but I'm not not being sent home because half the people in my small town don't believe the virus exists and everyone's overreacting and all that kind of madness. It, it's really hard to... I, I really don't enjoy having chats like that because my hairdresser... It's not just hairdressers, like well, taxi drivers and that will come out with mad stuff and I'll yeah. just act like what they're saying is normal. It's really um, tough, isn't it? I just can't be bothered getting into it with people because yeah. I'll have to make the transition from the polite mode that I have in the taxi or in the hairdresser's <laughs> chair to 
I mean, I can't be my real self and be like, I'm loads cleverer than you. You're a fucking idiot. Like, you just pick this up <laughs> off Facebook and YouTube. Yeah. There's no way of doing that. But So I had to sit and listen to her go, oh, babes, I thought you wouldn't think this because you smoke weed and stuff. I thought you would. your eyes would be open. And I was like, yeah, I smoke weed, but that just means I don't think people should have to get up at work for like <laughs> to go to work at 9am. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean that I think that there's a satanic paedophile ring that is getting adrenaline from children's adrenal glands and then killing them. That's what she thinks. Yeah. And I just was like, oh, I really like the length of my hair. <laughs> Can we change the subject? Can we move on? I think it's tough because also I think we're in industries that are continued, continually affected by it, whereas other people, because of the government we've got, have been th- thrown under the bus. They've been kind of get back to work, socially yeah. distanced, but this and that. And it's not safe and it's not acceptable. But if you're going into an office every day and sitting... Two metres away, but within the same room, within the same air, moving around all day, then you're going to start to not take it as seriously. But again, the reason that is, is because the government are openly saying, yeah, you know, we're going to see a bit of a spike, but not that much. So what they're saying is, we're going to see a bit more death, but a reasonable amount, a worthwhile amount, which is fucked up and horrible. The fact that you can be on the news calmly saying... Yeah, we've kind of planned for a rise in death and there'll be a few more thousand than needed, but, you know, we'll get pubs and schools open at once. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? So I think that's it. I think, um, again, I tried to be really understanding the people and all that and that was the breakthrough I had a few weeks back was if I've got a mate who's back working in a shop, for example, then why aren't they going to think, I can just come round and hang out in your living room? I go I go to work every day. Why are you saying, no, you can't come and hang out in my living room because you're not part of my bubble, you know? Yeah, people are getting complacent. Even I was thinking I'm getting complacent with not... I think it's because work's coming back now and I cannot be ill for work because it's just yeah. starting up again. I was thinking I need to, like, be really on it with remembering to wash my hands all the time and... Yeah. Um, but like on Saturday, I was I met up with some pals, and they all wanted to do a group hug at the end. And then you don't want to be the cunt that's like, "What? Why would we do that?" Yeah, yeah, it's really tough. I had a similar thing the other day, and someone greeted me and kind of went to give a hug, and I kind of gave a bit of a fist bump or elbow thing, and they literally said, oh, "Are you doing the COVID thing?" I'm like, "No, I'm not doing the." And again, I was exactly the same. I felt like a bit of a dick kind of being that awkward one going, no, I don't want to. But again, I don't need to hug anyone anyway. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I, I, can, I can have a life without hugs for a, a, a fair while. What I don't get is how the... Because there's a couple of people I know think this, right? One of them's my hairdresser. One of them's my <laughs> mate Dave. And then this other guy I know. The thing of wearing masks and stuff, they think that that links... Basically, every conspiracy theory seems to link back to the Jews in some way. Like, I struggle to think of one that doesn't. Yeah, it's pretty ugly, right? (laughs) But it's mad. Even... It's... Yeah, I just don't know how to engage with it. No, I completely feel you, and it is weird. It's going to be a long time of continued awkward 
conversations and awkward interactions. What's what's I'll I'll start to wrap things up now as we're over the hour mark. But what, what is ahead? Like you said, you've been writing. Is 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 writing and and TV and that kind of thing a focus for a bit, or is there more stand up planned if it ever comes back? What's your thoughts? Oh, definitely more stand up. If this hadn't all happened, what I would wanted to have been doing is getting my next show ready and previewing it in small rooms so that I could then go to Australia for two months and and work out the show there, then come back and do it in Edinburgh. Yeah. But as it is, I don't know if I'll be able to go to Australia because I don't know if any of their festivals are happening. And I'd, people are saying the Edinburgh Fringe might not happen next year, but I can't conceive of that. But it will be really oversubscribed, surely. Yeah, it's weird because it, it's so hard to gauge any of it, right? It's all a, a guessing game at this stage. It seems to change so quickly that thinking... But then again, at the beginning of it, I didn't think that we'd be in mid-August and still kind of the proposition of of of, of relocking down, of going of getting more stringent and tight on it all. Oh, I, I think that's coming. Um, I do want to write more scripts, even though every time I do it, I'm like, this is horrendous. Like, why would anyone do this? Yeah. It's not so much the first bit of writing, it's just all the back and forth with five million drafts after. So um, ideally my pilot will get made and filmed before I'm an old woman and then I can do more writing. But I've never really wanted to do stand-up as a springboard to get into other stuff. Other than writing, I do I do want to do more writing. But outside, the main thing I like doing on TV is just doing stand-up. Yeah. Um, I'm not comfortable on um, most panel shows. I used to get sad that I wasn't being asked on, like, panel shows that I don't watch. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought, well... But I don't watch them and I yeah. don't like the sort of forced banter of things. Like I said, that Frankie Boyle thing's the, the only comedy TV show I would really watch. Everything I consume is is sort of like HBO, half-hour scripted stuff. Yeah. Or um, I like a lot of BBC comedy and I like podcasts. So I was like, well, why don't I just do that? It's such and a weird thing. If, everything, as soon as you get into the entertainment business, it tries to force you to aim for these goals that you didn't know were your goals. I had it with music massively that we'd get a bad review in a magazine that I've never read. And it's like, so why do I care? Like, why does their opinion... Yeah. So I've never read their opinion before, or this particular journalist or whatever else. I've never read any of their articles, but now I really care what they think. And it's like, as you said, it's like, well, no... You should be trying to focus. It's easy to fall into. It's completely natural because yeah, yeah. particularly with the panel shows thing, that that's what you're told. The route is you get on these panel shows, then you have your big your big tour. It goes on Netflix or whatever else and it's this set path of comedians. But I listen, I, w- I love big tours and I would love a Netflix <laughs> special. But that's the thing is all I want. I don't want to have a thing where I'm like, hosting my oh my agent would fucking kill me for saying that but I don't want to like front my own show really I just want to be a stand up that's like known for being a stand up and a writer rather than anything 
else. But I'll tell you what really helped was meet. I, I met a load of my audience last year on tour and during Edinburgh, and it started to get to be a very specific type of person. They're quite... Sometimes they are mixed, but they're generally sort of weirdos. I have a lot of people with mental illnesses that come and see me. Right. And the more I realised that they already liked what I was doing, I thought, well, I should just keep doing more of that. But that's also why I love the podcast I'm doing with Alison, because she's already my mate. We just have the type of chats that we have anyway, but we've sort of shoehorned it into a formula for the BBC. But we're getting... It's just really nice rather than making something that you aren't really that arsed about. Yeah. And then you get people coming to your shows that hate your stand-up. I love that. I think all the the kind of new content that's come out of lockdown, there's loads of it I think is absolute dog shit. But the ones I love are ones like your podcast where it's just you and a mate interacting how you would. The No More Jockeys where it's just... Tim Key, Alex Horn and Mark Watson just having a Zoom call and playing a game they've made up. And it feels like they would have been doing this anyway and now we happen to be able to see it. It doesn't feel like a contrived, well, now we're in lockdown, here's our new lockdown quiz. Where it's yeah. Just like, ah. yeah, it's like, have you seen, um, I don't know if you know about his stuff, but uh, Kim Noble has a podcast coming out. No, I didn't. Uh, he, he's less like mad artist guy right but he also did the funniest edinburgh friends show i've ever seen called you are not alone but he's not a stand-up i think that was why it was so funny was he didn't have the same concerns and agenda and career desires as a stand-up so he fully made the most fucked up funniest show anyway he's got a podcast coming out but the stuff i like is quite niche and on the internet so my biggest sort of inspirations if you want would be people and I'm sorry they're all men I wish it wasn't the case but I love like <laughs> Lemmy Blind yeah. Boy yeah. and um, and Doug Stanhope and again how, that's three people yeah. there who are completely people don't realise how intelligent their, their, their approach is and their work is like Blind Boy is the best example of that the first time I've had him on a few times the first time I had him on People were absolutely stunned because they tuned in for the the uh, the horse outside guy, and he just yeah. was going into all this deep stuff about art and, and representation and all this amazing stuff. Yeah. And when when he had Spike Lee on his podcast, I listened to that one. It was so good because they just proper hit it off, didn't they? And they were like best mates yeah. because I've I've been out with Blind Boy a few times, and one of the times, like one of his best mates is a history teacher. So the whole night was just drinking and hearing all this amazing Irish history that I never knew. Um, the stuff about the police, the yeah. Irish police in, yeah. in America being racist was And then amazing. getting him to launch all that on Spike Lee. And Spike Lee was sat there like, wow. Yeah. You know, I was thinking I'm chatting to some weird guy with a bag on his head who's got an accent I can't <laughs> understand. And all of a sudden it's like, no, this is... And, and Doug Stanhope is similar. He He, he, he gets... Notorious for his offensive moments, um, but it always leads somewhere. I remember seeing him at, at least fifteen years ago, and he started this routine on one side of the stage, and the woman in front of me was standing up and booing because she was offended. By the time he'd got round to her, finishing off the routine, the point of it had hit, the reveal and the spin and the twist and all of it, 
and she was kind of just awkward, kind of still standing like, oh, <laughs> like I was wrong. I underestimated yeah. where this was going and the, the levels and, and layers that had gone into this art. It's not just stand up and say the most offensive thing that you can think of. Well, I enjoy his podcast more even than I would seek out his stand up because yeah. the the um I mean I do there's sometimes where I feel like the guys that he has on I think use hate women. But I don't believe he I've had people try and say that he does and I don't buy it. Like for how much he looked after his mum and looks after his mentally ill girlfriend yeah. and he has that young girl is it Olivia? That comes yeah. on it now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, Morgan Murphy's done his tour support. I just don't buy it. But what the thing I love about his podcast is the fact that it's not based on celebrity guests. Like it'll just have like the guy from their village that Bingo left them for <laughs> comes on to do an interview. That happened one time. Amazing. <laughs> or like the, this. If you haven't heard this podcast, the standout episodes are the ones where. His tenants, they're this musician couple. Did you ever listen to that? No, no. Oh, my God. So the woman has a... uh, It's this sweet young couple that he rents a house to and they live next door. And then the woman gets lupus and has to get a heart operation. Um, I can't say the rest of it. It's because it'll be a spoiler. But it's... Two of the maddest podcast episodes I've ever heard out of anything. I need to give give that a, a listen because I've more heard Doug, obviously his stand up, but I've heard him on other podcasts. And knowing that he kind of moved to the middle of nowhere and m- made his own kind of scene and comedy club, and, and kind of like, yeah. right, let's just start it here. Let's just go to a random town in the middle of nowhere and yeah, and make it work. That's one of the cool things about... There's things in podcasting that you just cannot ever imagine happening on, like, Radio 4 or Good Morning Britain, where, like, Mark Madden's podcast just now, I think he's crying on every episode because his girlfriend After his died. girlfriend passed, yeah. Oh, my God. But it's, it's... I've been listening to, like, every episode and it's just amazing he's keeping going with it. Yeah. Um... It's just so much better than... I can't imagine going to, like, any conventional radio compared to podcasts. Uh, There's a couple of people I've got into on Twitch because of lockdown. David Earl and David Edwards and a a few others are just amazing on Twitch. I've still not watched loads of of Limmy on there, bizarrely. He was the first person I followed because he's amazing, but I look at... Oh, he was on for six hours today, and I can't bring myself to start it again i like a long podcast every now and then but when it's like six hours of him driving a a, truck truck, which sounds genuinely that sounds like so my thing and sounds amazing but i've still not not managed to press play on it yet because it's like oh that's gonna be a long day (laughs) i didn't know for ages that was what he was doing yeah and then i think me and him were doing richard herring's podcast uh, and uh he said, oh, I'm not going to do any telly anymore. And he went, how about I just drive a fucking truck? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't know he meant he drives a little <laughs> truck on Twitch in a game. Does it? It's so genius that it'll just go, right, today we're going to drive from Liverpool to Cornwall and let's go. 
and sets off. And it's just him chatting and doing. Obviously, it's not Liverpool and Cornwall. I don't know what it's setting, but yeah. I love it. I love that it exists. But again, the more things like that do make me go, why are we... What is media g- going to be like in a few years? Because again, I'm the same on podcasts. I started my podcast because I had a radio show and I realised exactly as you were saying earlier, I don't listen t- t- to any. All I listen to is podcasts. Exactly. So, so why not yeah. do one? I may as well do one because that's, that's what I actually enjoy. Yeah, we're living through a good time where if you want to be the most yourself that you can be and there's an audience for that, why would you go back and forth with a commissioner to negotiate what yeah. you're going to be? Yeah. Which is also why I like doing stand-up on telly because at least um, they don't try and change what I'm saying or anything. Yeah, completely. I love that. Well, I'll let you get back to your your life and your world. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much it's- for uh, for taking the time. It's been so lovely uh, chatting to you. Uh, thanks for having me. It's been great. And, and yeah, so so where can people f- find your podcast? And uh, let's get the Why? plug part in and your, your social media and all that kind of thing. I was going to talk to you a load about social media because I really enjoy your uh, your tweets, but I struggled to bring it up. because <laughs> I'm, I'm, oh, That's what I was going to say. I'm so down on social media at the moment. Like this morning, I basically foolishly tweeted essentially that, refugees are humans and it's just been a day of people being furious at the at the notion and it's just really i think social media is such a fucking assessment as you said there with your reaction of i don't enjoy them it's exactly that i read them thinking yeah i get it this is this is yeah i'm the same with time i i've got apps on my phone to to block instagram and twitter uh but i just got a new phone and i haven't reinstalled it right. it definitely affects your mood i just moved into this house in january and we didn't have internet so while i was decorating all i did was listen to podcasts on my phone internet and going to sleep and i was much happier Mm-hmm. And that was when I started looking into how bad social media was for me. So I need to put limits on it and just use it for work. Yeah, because I'm makes the same. You depressed. I had a period where I was, I was going on under an hour a day, just barely going on, or just having several days off, and it was so much better. And somehow I've drifted back in, and yeah, it's miserable. But with that said, where can people find you on social media <laughs> and the podcast? So- I'm on Twitter at Fern Brady and I'm on Instagram at Fern from Bathgate. I wish I could change that handle, um, but I can't. <laughs> and then my podcast is with my mate Alison Spittle. She's an Irish comic. It's called Wheel of Misfortune and it's on BBC Sounds. But if you're not in the UK, it's also on Spotify and iTunes and a yeah. bunch of other places. And it's out every Tuesday. I I love it. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you. It's been lovely. (laughs) Bye. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Fern Brady. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you didn't cringe too much each time I firmly placed my own foot in my mouth and got things wrong. (laughs) There we go. These things happen, I guess. Um, Yeah, thank you for tuning in. 
I'll be back next week. I've already told people the next week's episode is Gets because I wanted to mention it on the Dizzy episode, which people have gone crazy for. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, I'll be back next week. See you then. Ta-ta.